Good morning, everybody. Ordinary life, it's full of decisions. Uh, I was at a crossroads 12 years ago. I was working as a youth pastor. The job was going well. We had lots of kids in the youth ministry, tons of leaders. You know, it, it was awesome. The church supported us. If, if you were a youth pastor, this was a gift for you. And that's what we had at that moment. The only problem was I was not feeling it anymore. After six years of being in the role, it just didn't feel right. And I wasn't sure if it was because I was tired or if God was trying to lead me in a different direction. And so was it time to resign? I didn't know. We didn't know what to do. Uh, I've learned over the years that emotion is not a great gauge for how we should make important decisions in life. For example, when I'm in a car dealership and I'm sitting in a brand new car, I feel amazing. I feel happy. You know, it's great. The problem with that is those emotions can trick us into making bad decisions, can't they? Yes, they can. <laughs> and so I can make a bad decision in that moment because I'm feeling happy, because I forget that for five to seven or eight or 10 or whatever years they're willing to allow us to borrow the money for, there's a lot of pain in paying that car off. So our emotions are not always the best for us to go on. At the time I was, uh, of my pastoral career there, I had been doing a side hustle. I had been doing some renovation work on the side, and I was really enjoying it. And so I was thinking, man, like, is, is this maybe a time where I should be starting a business doing this? I was, I was actually enjoying that a little bit more, or at least I was more passionate about going that direction. Knowing if it was time to change was further complicated by the fact that the, the lead pastor of the church had resigned, and he had led that church well for uh, 25 years, and, and it, was, it was a stable church, and, and good things were going on in it. But the new guy, who had been there for a year and a, year and a, pa year and a half, had led the church down a very painful and disruptive past. And so our church, that was really healthy up until this point, was now hurting. And my resignation at that time, even though it would have just been, you know, kind of fairly mundane on the organizational level, actually had the ability to hurt the church and add more confusion to an already difficult situation. And so I didn't want to make things worse. To make the decision of what to do even more complicated, this process took quite a while for me and my wife to, to think through. And in the middle of this process, we thought, you know what would be great is if we just got pregnant again. Like, <laughs> that would be wonderful. And so that's what we did. And, and so about partway through this, we're pregnant with our second child and my wife who had been working as, uh, with her own business in our basement as a stylist. That income was about to evaporate and we weren't going to have that. And I was about to become the sole breadwinner in our home and there was no mat leave or any of that kind of stuff. And so what, what were we to do? I'd struggled with the question for about 12 months and it was weighing on me. You know, it was starting to take its toll. And so I sought counsel from people. And some of the advice I sought and got was, you know what? You got a good job there. It provides for your family. You're doing good work at the church. So don't leave. The church needs your support. Others said, you know what? I've been in my job for 30 years. And I actually don't think I've ever really cared for it that much. But it's about commitment. You just got to stay in your job and stick it out. Okay. Others said, well, you don't want to stay in a ministry position and just collect a paycheck. You better figure this out quick 
and then get out of there if you're not supposed to be there. And still others said, you know what? God would never call you out of ministry to start a business. He would call you into ministry, but he certainly wouldn't call you out of it. And so if you leave and start a business, it's probably just motivated by greed and selfishness. We were confused. We didn't know what to do. I felt like if I stayed in the job, it was going to lead to apathy. And if I left, I was going to be like selfish and, and I didn't care. And we didn't know what to do. Decisions in life and discerning things in life are as easy as like opening up the fridge, pulling out the leftover container, smelling that horrible smell and seeing the green mold and going, I know exactly what's going to happen to my body if I eat this, right? Or they can be as difficult and as confusing as the story that I just shared with you. Today we're going to talk about discernment because every choice requires some level of discernment. And I think we're really good at discerning what to do with the leftover container when we drag it out of the fridge. Like I know we have Chinese food in our fridge right now that's been in there for five days. And you can eat roast for five days, but you can eat Chinese food for hours after you've gotten it. And that's it. So while I think we're really good at making that discerning decision, I think there are many many more decisions in life that are harder to discern. And, and it would be great if we just had some things to help us out, something to start us off in the right direction as we try to discern the many things that life can throw at us. So we're gonna talk about discernment today. And when we talk about discernment in church circles, there are several things that come to mind. There is discerning, you know, what to do uh, with these choices that come our way. There is discerning between the times and the signs that we see in the world, that, the, that we see in the book of Revelation, and, and what is, how does that play out? There's, there's discerning God's word and how to apply it in our lives and what it means in this cultural context. And then there's discerning between different spirits, and we read about all of these things in the Bible. Well, today we're going to focus just on one of those, and it's just how to make wise decisions. And when life big, big moments come along, or when there's decisions that we need to make with significant consequences, how do we make the right choice? As I was studying for this passage today, I came across Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, and it says, By wisdom, the Lord laid the, foundation, the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. As we try to discern how to make good decisions as we live on this planet, we need to pair what we are trying to discern with godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom is literally woven into the fabric of everything that we see around us. And the Bible tells us that there are two types of wisdom in this world. There is a wisdom out there that exists that is selfish, it is boastful, it is worldly. And James tells us that such wisdom does not come from heaven, that it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is literally breathed out from the mouths of demons, and it's meant, to it's meant to confuse us. It's meant to get us off track. That is not the kind of wisdom that is woven into the fabric of the earth and how God created it. However, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 tells us that there is a wisdom that does come from God, and James, James tells us that that wisdom is pure, it is peace-loving, it is considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. We want our lives to be full of the wisdom that God gives us because that is the wisdom that the world was founded upon. 
That is the wisdom that when God created everything and he used it to create everything, he sat back and he said, that is very good. And it's also the wisdom which brought forth the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to this world. So if we want any kind of wisdom in our lives, it's going to be the kind of wisdom that brought life to this planet. And that is only available in God. God's wisdom is the only perfect wisdom that exists out there. You know, we've got lots of places that we turn today to try and find answers to our question. It's, I probably shouldn't say it too loud because my phone might go off, but like, like, hey Siri, you know? And she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you just said, right? And it's like, ah, oh, let me down. And then we've got Google Maps, which sometimes gets us to where we want to go. Then there's this new one, chat GTP, but you know, like you put stuff in there, but you're not sure, like, is that real? Right? God's wisdom is never wrong. It's 100% on point every time. So how do we discern God's wisdom in our life? Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 is what we're going to use. This can actually help us get us there. This is a well-known proverb that you've probably heard before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. We're going to use these verses this morning to create a process for discerning God's wisdom for our lives. And we're going to break it down into four different pieces and then we're just going to fill in the blanks and help, and, and help us guide us what we need to do in our lives. Having said all of that, and as we look at this, we can sum up and get out of here early if you guys want. There's one line that kind of captures all of it. And it's, we don't get to know God's wisdom for our lives until we get to know God. You guys want to go now? <laughs> there is no design where we get God's best for our lives without first turning to God and calling out to him. So if you leave here this morning with anything, remember, we don't get to know God's wisdom for our lives until we get to know God first. And that leads us to our first point, which is if we want God's wisdom, it starts with a change in our posture. We need to move from a posture of self-reliance, one where we think we can figure out all these big decisions, even little ones in our lives, to one of total reliance on God. Our verse says, starts off with trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we have to drop our trust in ourselves and we have to pick up our trust in the Lord. And there are times in our lives, or times in my life anyway, where I have felt totally burdened about the decisions that I've had to make. There's lots of good options sitting in front of me, and I'm not sure, like, what do I need to do next? There's something so amazing in those moments about being able to just sit back and just cast all of that and put my trust in God and say, I don't know what the answer is, Lord, but you do. Proverbs 9 verse uh, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear should make us think we should revere God. A wise person understands that wisdom begins by turning to God first. Listen to what Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 4 says. And try to watch this. There's a lot of if statements in this verse. Try to watch what the ifs are pointing us to. My son... If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find 
the knowledge of God. You see what the author is trying to say there is there is a godly wisdom that exists out there that we can have in our lives, but we gotta wanna have it more than anything. It has to outpace our personal desires and our preferences. We have to want God's wisdom for our lives more than the the next girlfriend, more than the next boyfriend, more than the new appliance in the kitchen, and more than the new job that we're looking for. And when we want God's wisdom more than anything that our greedy heart desires, then we will understand the fear of the Lord and he will show us his path forward. I can remember calling out to God several years ago. I was running a business and um, things were going really well. But it was, it was getting to the point where it was becoming unmanageable. And, and I, I, I was starting to... Uh, just feel a burden by what was going on. I would come home at night and the kids were already in bed most nights and then I would leave in the morning and they weren't, they weren't up yet. And, and, and I wanted to be a family man. I, I wanted to spend time with my kids. And so I wasn't sure what to do. I had this great business that I felt like God had given me and I was working it hard. And, and it's really easy to say, well, Joel, like that's an easy one. You just slow down. If you want to spend time with your family and it's becoming unmanageable. Um, but slowing down would have meant letting people down and having longer booking times and, and turning away work that we might have needed to, to supply an income for us and our employees. Um, it's really easy to say, you know, Joel, just slow down when it's not your kitchen that's the one that needs to be done or your roof that's about to start leaking and then you're waiting for the contractor to get there, right? I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be successful in business and I, and I wanted to take care of my clients because I cared about them. And it eventually came to the point where I was juggling all of this and it was just starting to crush me. And I just called out to God and I just was like, what is the best way forward with this? I don't know what to do. I didn't want to get 20 years down the road, realize that my kids had grown up and I didn't spend any time with them. But I had a really great business. I didn't want that to be my story. I wanted to be great dad still and have a great business. And so as I cried out to God, He helped me to see what I needed to do. And it took three years, three years of calling out to him and him leading me and guiding me. And eventually he showed me how I needed to change my business model so that it would work better with the lifestyle that I was looking for. And eventually I had the life that I was looking for where I got to spend time with my kids and still provided a decent income for me. I had to let go of one of my dreams. I was hoping to make a lot of money and be rich. I had to let that go. But that's all right. I got my family, right? <laughs> and so, so that's what I had to do. But I wouldn't have been able to figure that out if I hadn't have first shifted my posture from one of, I can do it. I can do everything. I can be the good dad. I can run the business. I can make a lot of money. I can make everybody happy. I had to shift my posture from that thinking to one of, you know what, God? I just trust that your way is better. You know what I need and what I want more than my greedy little heart knows what I need and what I want. What's included in the list of things that you turn your posture to God on? Perhaps, maybe even even more telling question is, what are the things that you don't shift your posture in your life towards God for? Do you seek his wisdom in your relationships? Do you forget about him with your major purchases? Or in your business? Or in your parenting? How about with your money? Maybe with your spare time. What are the things that you don't turn to God for? If we want to receive God's wisdom for our lives, it starts with changing our posture from one of self-reliance to one of total dependence 
in every area of our life. We don't get to hold anything back. That's not what Jesus is calling us to, folks. He's looking for him, him to be Lord of our lives. He wants it all. But that's actually a really good path to take. The second half of verse five says, and lean not on your own understanding. We don't possess what it takes within us to make really good decisions. That's just the way it is. We need to lean on God and on his understanding in order to have his wisdom. And we do that through relationship. And that's our second point. Once we shift our posture, now we need to spend time on building and cultivating our relationship with God. You know, we live in a period of time where God has revealed a decent amount about himself. There's still so much more to know. But God has revealed a decent amount to himself about us. You know, you think of humanity between the period of time uh, of the Garden of Eden and the flood. And it's like, what did they have to go on? How did they know about God? How did they figure out things in life? You know, we know from the Bible that they had what they see in nature to point them to God. And maybe there was the odd story from the garden, but what else did they have? Other than that, other than the stuff that we see in nature, they are left to their own vices. And it wasn't until the flood where God started to reveal himself to the world. At the time of the flood, the world was full of violence and wickedness. Things were not going well here. We were messed up, just left on our own. And so we see God, what, what God is doing here through the flood, is we see his revelation to us that, that wickedness is not something that is going to be tolerated forever. And that there is actually a being that exists out there somewhere that actually cares how we conduct our lives on this planet. And that was God's revelation to us in the flood. For us today, we have the progressive revelation of God to us. We can see God's working through his people in history, and we can learn from that. We have God's word in the Bible, and we have his commands and his laws, and we, we can see what God's character and what his nature is like when we turn to that. We also have God's greatest revelation to the world in the work and person of Jesus Christ, in his reconciliation ministry to the world. And on top of that, we have confirmation that that reconciliation ministry was true through the embodiment or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon us, pardon me. So we're fortunate to live in this time in our world's history where we actually have the Holy Spirit to guide us and we have the word of God telling us what we should do. Our task then, when we're trying to discern things in our lives, isn't to try and figure them out on our own. Our task is to turn to God and draw closer to him. To immerse ourselves in knowing him and spending time with him so that we can hear his voice and he can lead us and tell us what to do. Because we don't get to know God's wisdom for our lives until we get to know God. Hearing God's voice then is one of the first and foremost things that we need to learn how to do as believers. And I'm not sure how many of us take time and think about how to do that. You know, I, I, I was 30 years old when I started to actually, actually cultivate a practice where I was trying to listen and discern what God's voice actually sounded like as it played out in my life. I'm a kid who grew up in church. I spent my whole life doing things in church. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I started working on that. So I think in church we often are like, we're like yeah, like I have the Holy Spirit of God within me. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm happy to have that. But we actually don't even know what that means. We don't really give it much more thought than that. Folks, as, as believers in Jesus... You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. 
And he is not blind. He is not deaf. He is not mute. You can pray and speak to him and talk to him and you can hear his voice back. So don't waste your time walking this Christian walk without taking advantage of that in your life. John 14, 26 tells us, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Now, wouldn't it be great if we heard God's voice audibly all the time? That would be so much easier, wouldn't it? But that's not what we get. Sometimes that happens, but very rarely. More often than not, how does God show up? He shows up in the quiet whispers, in a thought in the back of our mind. And so we need to teach ourselves how to hear that quiet whisper. I learned how to do this through journaling and reading my Bible. By paying attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as I read. Often we read our Bibles and we're going through it and we've got these Bible in a year things and that's great. There's good stuff there. When you're reading through the Bible and you can see the whole picture, that's awesome. But what happens when we start breezing through our Bible really quickly, just trying to blast through it so we can say to the, you know, so-and-so at the end of the year or standing in the foyer, you know, I read my Bible once this year, twice this year. But what, what that does is it keeps us from going deeper. And it keeps us from paying attention to those things that come to our mind when we're reading through our scriptures and we're like, oh, I have a question about that. Doesn't matter, I'm flying through to make it by the end of the year. You know, we need to stop when something catches our attention. When we read scripture, it's a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And if God speaks to us in gentle whispers, then we need to be paying close attention as we're reading our Bibles that if something, something catches our eye or causes us to question or catches our attention, we need to pay attention to that. Because that might just be God trying to get our attention to teach us something, right? And we need to follow that. So what needs to happen in those moments is when we're reading and we have that question or something comes to our mind, we need to pause. And we need to go, Lord, is that you? And then we need to try and dig deeper and see what he does with that. This is how we train ourselves to hear God's voice because, because when, when he does something in those moments and when we pause and we, when we research and we think through those things, we pray through them and we sit quiet and we hear what he has to say and he does something, that means we just heard from God. And that's one step closer to going, oh, okay, I know what it sounds like now. Often as I'm reading my Bible and I've got this like big study Bible and there's a bunch of notes at the bottom and often as I'm reading and going through, I'll have a question or a thought come to my mind. Like, what was that? And I'll stop and I'll look down at the notes and I'll figure out what that was. And then I'm over at my computer and I'm, I'm Googling something. I'm looking at a map, like, where did that take place? And, oh, I don't understand that word. And then maybe I'm back over to a commentary or something like that. And it's in this rabbit trail, which often leads to some of the deeper and more personal connections that I have with the Lord. He knows what my heart needs to be filled in that moment. And so when those questions and those promptings come up, I follow that leading. And often it takes me where he wants me to be filled that day and teaches me something that I might need to know in the next day or so or even in my heart for that moment. If you're reading your Bible and something doesn't make sense or you have a question about something, stop. Take the time to dig deeper and be obedient to that small, quiet voice. It might just be God wanting to tell you something more. And wanting you to spend just a little bit more learning about him. And when you do this, 
You actually gain fruit in that moment. And when you see the fruit from that moment, you know you've just heard from God. That's your confirmation that you're on the right track. It'll bring you into a deeper moment with the Lord and a deeper worship and sense of intimacy with him. Now, we can also get off track in our discernment process when we develop a habit of silencing the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. I listened to a podcast this past week of a Christian guy who, um, who takes a non-biblical view regarding the discussion of gender and sexuality. And in, in this discussion, in this podcast, he was debating with another guy using scripture to support his views. And every time his opponent would bring up some evidence in scripture that would you know, kind of be a contradictory point to what this guy was trying to make, he would simply dismiss it. And he would just claim, you know what, I'm not a Bible scholar, like, I don't know, you know, whatever. And, and he would just dismiss it. But if you're going to have that kind of a loud voice on social media and can claim to be a Christian, somebody that bears the truth of God to the world, then you need to be digging deeper to discover what God has for you in that and what he's told us in his scriptures. Because if you're not willing to do that and you just want to kind of surface level look at everything, then do the world a favor and just keep quiet on the issue. Because you don't want to lead people astray. His error was obvious as I listened to this thing. And, and it was quite frustrating to listen to because he couldn't hear me as I was yelling out loud. <laughs> what he was doing was he was silencing the Holy Spirit. When this guy would provide an objection, instead of taking it to heart and digging deeper and trying to discover God's truth on the topic, he just dismissed all the arguments because it didn't prove his point. He doesn't know the truth because he doesn't want to, or he doesn't want to know the truth because it doesn't line up with what he wants to tell the world about that topic. You know, if he cared about what God had to say about that topic of gender and sexuality, which you think he would, because he was using scripture to try and prove his points. You think he would, but, uh, pardon me, guys. <laughs> You would think he wanted to explore the Bible, but because when, when, when he uses scripture, it shows that he actually cares about the Bible, but, but, but when somebody brings up an objection, you would think that he would want to dig deeper and go, oh, like, did I miss something there? What does God have for me? Because it's either going to, digging deeper is going to either solidify the point that he's trying to make, or it's actually going to cause him to see a truth that he's missed. But this guy was not in the habit of listening to the Holy Spirit, nor was he in, uh, interested in knowing God's truth at all. But if we have a regular practice and we know what it sounds like to hear the Holy Spirit, then it's way more difficult for us to get pulled off track in our walk. In addition to li listening to the Holy Spirit, we also need to learn the character of God that we see in the, by studying his word. And this is huge as we're trying to discern things in our lives. Because if we're diligent in studying the word, and we begin to know God's character, then we can actually make decisions in this life based on what we see about God. For example, if the gender and sexuality guy that I was just talking about, if he knew the character of God, and he knew the effect that sin had on this world, and he understood the lordship of God and, and, and what that meant in our lives, then he would have seen that his thoughts on this topic did not line up with God's character, or what we know about God, or what we read about him, that they were not consistent with the way God operates. And so he would have been able to discern that the truth that he thought he was bringing to the table was actually just what he really wanted to, to speak. 
So we need to understand God's word. We need to understand his character. And we need to understand his voice if we are going to be able to discern his wisdom in our lives. And all of that is gained through relationship. And it doesn't have to take years. You're like, oh man, what a job. I gotta. No, it doesn't take years. If you're trying to discern something in your life right now, you might be surprised at just how quickly you can gain clarity when you just sit down with your Bible and you start reading and praying and just sit quiet and just spend some time with God. It might even happen on the first time. Our third point is submission. We, uh, in uh, our verse, uh, verse six begins with, in all your ways submit to him. This passage is primarily about our, uh, Jesus' lordship in our lives. God wants everything from us. He wants us, he wants everything and he wants us to submit our path to him. We are gonna look at five tools for submitting right now. And these tools aren't necessarily going to give you the answers to the questions that you have for God and, and as you look for his wisdom. But as, as you submit to God in these things, they can help illuminate the path forward and, and lead us in what to do. So the first one here is fasting. Leviticus 16, 29 through 30 says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and, and not do any work whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be cleansed from all your sins. Fasting is a practice of denying ourselves. Uh, typically, this is from a meal, but it can be from other things. And so when we fast from a meal, uh, what, what you often do is we'll take the time that we would have spent eating, and we spend that time in prayer and with the Lord. In the Bible, fasting is a way of physically demonstrating uh, our dependence on God. Uh, when we fast and we feel that hunger in our stomach, it reminds us of our humanity. And maybe that we're not in control of everything. And, and our hunger reminds us of that. It's like saying, you know what? Even more than food, I need you, God. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness in this supernatural display that that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see that in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, when we are trying to discern God's wisdom for our lives, one of the ways that we can submit to him is in his leading is through fasting. Because this helps us remember that we're not the ones that are in charge and that we are dependent upon God for the answer. So try fasting. Fasting doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get the answer, but it does show that you are devoted to God and that you are looking for him to get an answer. Second, seek godly counsel. Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. It's wise to seek out the counsel of many people, seek out their thoughts and their opinions, especially those people who are more mature in their spiritual walk than you. Now, there's many false teachers out there. They're Instagram, on YouTube. We see them all over the place, all over the world around us. There are many false teachers, and they use Scripture to lead us astray. And you go, well, well really? Yes, yeah, Satan even used Scripture against Jesus to try and lead him astray and get him to sin in the desert. But a couple of things protect, protected Jesus in that. One, he knew the character and nature of the person who he was talking to. And, he, and so he wasn't so easily uh, persuaded by Satan. He knew that he was the father of lies and a deceiver. So it's not like he was going to be trusting his word. Second, Jesus knew God's character and his word. 
And so he was not deceived when Satan misused scripture. If we don't know the word and we don't know what God's character is like, when somebody tells us something that's in the word, we might be like, oh, okay, and get pulled off course. So when we seek counsel, we aren't just looking for anybody's advice on the topic. We are looking for godly people who we can see have a vibrant relationship with God and there is fruit in their lives. Biblical, godly fruit. And we should also make sure that we know the word because that is our backup. If for some reason even that godly person says something, we can make sure all of that lines up. The third thing we want to look for is peace. Proverbs 3, verse 13 through 17. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Rubies, Joel. (laughs) Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. In Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. The wrong path usually leads to a lack of peace. So if you have a decision in front of you that you were trying to make, and one of those paths leads to a greater amount of peace, submit to that peaceful way. Now you got to be careful with this peace one, because we're not looking for the immediate peace. We're looking for the greatest amount of peace in the end. There was a tremendous lack of peace as Jesus stood before the cross and had that bearing down on him. But at that point, he knew what God's plan was. He knew what God's will for his life was. And he was, and even though the cross might have been the furthest thing from peace, he knew that in the end, it would lead to an abundance of peace. So for Jesus, if he would have walked away from the cross, he might have had peace in his life for that moment. But the world would have been missing an incredible amount of peace for all eternity. Sometimes in our relationships, we avoid conflict. And we don't say the things that we know that we need to say because we just want to keep peace in the relationship. But it's often in bringing, gently bringing those things up to the other person and talking to them and working through them, which leads to a greater amount of peace in the end and a deeper relationship with the other person. Often far more than what we would have had if we just kept on going in that, uh, without saying anything at all. Four, pray for confirmations. Remember Gideon's fleece in Judges chapter six? Now, I wouldn't say that Gideon's our best example here, but what that story does teach us is that God is willing to provide confirmations when he calls us to do something. And as we earnestly seek him, it is okay to reach out and pray for some clarity or for some confirmation or maybe some encouragement in a direction. When I was considering this position here at Ellerslie that I have right now, Michelle and I both both prayed for confirmations. And we didn't talk about it ahead of time. We just, on our own, just happened to be at the same time and prayed for confirmations. I prayed for one confirmation and she prayed for three because she doesn't believe in me. <laughs> so, so I prayed for one confirmation on my own and, I, and I'm like, oh, like, I got a confirmation. So I was like, hon, I prayed for confirmation and I was like, and the Lord gave me one. Like, I think I should apply for this. She goes, I prayed for three. Sorry, we're still waiting. <laughs> but the cool thing was, is God was awesome to us in that moment. And he did give us three confirmations and because uh, that's what Michelle needed. And, and, when, and when we got those confirmations, we submitted to what the Lord was leading us to do and we applied for this role. And just a short seven months later, I had the job. <laughs> Five, pray for clarity. 
As we talked about earlier in John 14, 26, Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. We have the Spirit of God within us. Let's not forget that. So we can submit our thoughts to him, our thought processes to him, and allow his voice to speak into that. And that's a lot easier to do once we've learned how to hear his voice. Now, there are other practical things that we can do. We just don't have time to talk about them this morning. But if you follow some of these things and, and, and use the process that we've talked about, they should lead you to some clarity and give you some direction, at least where you could possibly take a step. Now, one of the things that we need to remember as we look at these different tools is as they lead us to things and as we discover things in them, all of them need to line up with God's word. None of them should conflict with God's word, his character, or what he tells us through his Holy Spirit. Our God is a God of order. He is a God of design. And his wisdom for our lives will never contradict itself. It will never co contradict his word or his spirit. So all of these things need to be leading and pulling in the same direction because our God is a God of design. Remember that. Now, you're looking at me like, yeah, you know what, Joel? I've actually done all that stuff and I've still got to the end of my road and I don't have any answers. There are times when we have changed our posture and we have called, uh, nurtured, nurtured our relationship with God and we have spent time you know, submitting our ways to him and we get to the end of that and there's still no clarity and we're not sure what to do. In those cases and in those moments where God is still silent, the answer might be wait. He might have you exactly where he wants you in that moment. And you might not like that, but that might just be the way it is. So no matter how much you, you call out to God and no matter what tools you use to try and discern what he's saying, they won't yield any different result other than wait. Your job in that moment is to submit to the waiting. Other times when we get to the end of it and we have no clarity, it might mean the choice is yours. The very last thing that we want to do is listen to our emotions and our feelings. As I said at the beginning of this, our emotions can lead us astray. But, but once we have gone through all of this and we have submitted to God and we have sought godly counsel and we've done all these things and we're tight with the Lord, it might mean that your emotions are enough to give you that next step. So once we go through everything, there is a chance that our emotions can point us the way. The choice might just be, how do you feel? Which one do you think will bring you the most joy? Which one do you want to do? For example, if you're looking for a spouse and you're not sure which one to, to pick, you know, congratulations, you must be quite the catch because you have options, right? <laughs> but if you have lots of choices in front of you, um, you know, and you've prayed and you've discerned and you've done all of this stuff, it might be, which one do you like more? If they, all of these people meet the biblical, biblical qualifications for a spouse, it's either pick the one that you like best or pick none of them at all. And this leads us to the last part of this verse, which we've been reading through. And it says, and he will make your path straight. And the last thing that we want to do is we want to act. When we've changed our posture and we're, we're, we're getting closer to the Lord, drawing to closer to him in relationship, and we've submitted our ways to him, it's time to take a step. 
the journey of discerning God's wisdom for our lives is almost never revealed in entirety all at once. God often just gives us one more step that he needs us to take. And we, when he gives us that step, we need to just take that step, even though it might be scary, even though we can't see where it's leading, we just need to be faithful. We've put our hands in the Lord that he's gonna lead us uh, where he wants us to go. And I, I get this picture in my mind of this child holding their parent's hand as they're walking down a dark path at night They've got a firm grip on mom and dad's hand and they can feel where that parent is leading them, urging them in the way, to go, way, that, way they need to go. Now, they don't know where they going, they're going, they can't see it, but they know that they need to take a next step. And as long as they keep feeling their parent pulling them and urging them in that direction, they're able to progress down the path and get them where they want to go. All of the things that we have talked about today should show us that we are not walking this path alone. As you're trying to figure out things in your life, you're not alone. God is with you. You're not walking this path by yourself. You're actually walking on his path with him. And he is leading you by the hand. And even though this can be a bit uncomfortable at times, God does give us assurances once we have taken a step that we are actually moving in the right direction. Once we take those steps, God will often see God's blessing come our way. And when we see that, that's our confirmation that we've moved the right direction. Or sometimes it leads to a deeper intimacy with him or worship for him. And when we see that, we know that we're going the right direction. These are the confirmations that we have that we are on, on the right track. And part of that is because the process of discerning and making decisions in our lives, God wants us to call out to him because the end result means that we're closer to him and that brings glory and honor to his name. This whole thing is designed to bring us closer to God, which is why we experience his blessing as we follow his leading. Uh, the worship team can join me at the front and eventually the prayer teams can make their way up here. But thinking back to that story that I shared to you about uh, at the beginning of this, this message as Michelle and I were trying to discern what to do, uh, should I resign from my pastoral job? We did most of the things that we talked about this morning. And, and after that and spending time with God, we still didn't have any confirmations. We didn't have any clarity and we didn't know what to do. At one point, the leadership of the church even said, you know what, Joel? Write out your dream job description. Tell us what you would like your job to look like here at the church and get back to us. And I did. And as they read the job description and I heard the response, they said, you know what? This is a great job description. And we would love to keep you here. But unfortunately, our church is just not in a place yet where we're ready for that. So at the moment, you're just going to keep doing your youth pastor thing as far as we can see. And that was a painful closed door for us because that was, you know, that was where I was like, oh man, that might, I might not be able to actually pull that off. But it was in this discouragement, that closed door, that we began to see God's peace emerge. And it's, it's because we were spending time with God and we were, we, were, we were in the word that when his peace emerged, we were able to recognize it. And, and the only option that gave us peace in the end was the option of resigning my position and starting a business, which was interestingly enough, the, the most risky option of all of them. But it was the only one that led to this overwhelming sense of peace. And so we were confident that we were making the right step. And when we took that step, two really cool things happened. First, the first one happened rather immediately. We were, we were really worried. We were worried about how we were going to provide for ourselves, but God wasn't worried at all. He totally had that under control. Um, and so I started my business, and my last day of work at the church was July 15th. 
July 16th, I was unemployed and God made the phone start ringing. And I picked up the phone and somebody was offering me work. So I was like, okay. So I started working immediately. Five years went by. Five years God gave us work without us missing a day. From the day after I was done at the church, five years, I never missed a day of work. And that is God's blessing and his hand at work. That is how we knew. That was our confirmation that we were on the right track and we had done what God wanted us to do. The second really cool thing that happened didn't happen for a long time. The dream job description that I wrote over a decade ago is actually a scaled down, more narrow-minded version of the job that I actually have right now. And that's really cool, right? Because that means God was planting a seed in my heart over a decade ago of when he would call me back into ministry. It wasn't the time for the job back then and it wasn't right for the church then, but it's right right now. Isn't that amazing? We're gonna have some prayer teams up here. If you're trying to discern something in your life or you need God's wisdom or you're trying to figure something out, come up here and pray with these people. Remember, we don't get to know God's wisdom for our lives until we get to know God. So spend some time. But man, oh man, is it great when we take the time to get to know God in that journey. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can call out to you for wisdom and for discernment. We thank you that we do not walk this path alone. And God, we thank you that your word and your Holy Spirit guides us along this path. God, I pray for everybody that's here in the decisions that we have to make in our lives that you would walk with us that you would call us to your heart and that nobody would, uh, that none of us would escape the experience of spending time with God, of hearing his voice and experiencing the blessing that comes with walking his path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.